this is a preaching message as much as it is almost like a, a, a written documentary on what I believe that, that to show and to maybe to prove to you that there really was a resurrection. There really was a resurrection. A little over 2,000 years ago, there was a resurrection. So I want to go, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read a few verses of scripture here. It's good to come to church and read your Bibles, amen? It's good to church to read, it's good to read your, uh, read your Bible any day other than church. <laughs> it's good to read your church. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to be skipping around some verses so you can follow with me. The guys will have it on the screen back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For, for I delivered to you as in first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Somebody shout the third day. Now look with me in verse number 12 of that same chapter. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. And moreover, we are found to be a false witness of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse number 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Verse number 18. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Verse number 20. Now, but now Christ has been, or one translation, Christ is raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then, he, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power, and he must reign until all he, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, I want to show you just one more verse here, verse number 55 through 57 there of the same chapter. Paul goes on to say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad today that you have the victory? 
Amen. Now I want to show you one more quick passage of scripture. I want you to go with me to Mark. Just a little verse here that I want to throw on you. Mark chapter 10, verse number 34. And they will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, something's going to happen. <laughs> three days later, he will rise again. What they thought was dead was going to get back up. And I just felt so impressed all throughout the night last night. Some of you came in here with things that you thought are over, things that you thought were dead. But I just came to prophesy to you this morning, if he got up, whatever's been dead in your life can get back up again. Come on, if he was raised from the dead, Christ can raise everything in your life again. Amen? So I want to I wanna talk to you this morning. I just titled it very simply, The Power of His Resurrection. The Power of His Resurrection. This is what we like to do around here. I need you to high-five about three people and tell them it ain't over. Just tell them that it ain't over. Just put that in the atmosphere of their hearing. Just tell them it ain't over yet. It ain't over. Whatever God has started, he's going to finish it. Yes, he is. It ain't over. Come on, somebody shout, it ain't over. It ain't over. It ain't over. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you're in this place. Lord, we sense, we feel the tangible presence of your spirit. Lord, we thank you today that you're moving. You're moving down every aisle through every row of chairs. Thank you today for what you're doing in hearts and minds today. Lord, I thank you today that, Holy Spirit, you're the preacher. You're the teacher. You're the revealer. You're the revelator. You're the communicator of all truth. Thank you today for what you're going to do in this place in the next few moments. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And we give you all the praise now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. So let me just take a few moments, if you'll allow me to build this just for a moment, because I want to build a little something here to prove maybe a foundation of where I believe God is taking us so that we can communicate a truth to you today. In our text this morning, the first text that we read out of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he's writing them concerning a critical area of doctrine uh, that needed to be addressed. He's writing to them uh, uh, an area of doctrine that's been circulating within the church. And so he's writing this address to them at the church at Corinth regarding the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that day, in this particular time frame in Paul's life, there was this ongoing heresy that began to get taught in the church that Christ had not literally been raised from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul comes to us through written scripture. He comes to us to seek to destroy this argument, this, this contrast. He comes to, to seek this, this, this argument that's been filtered out through the life of the church, and he's coming with this argument in his writings to the church at Corinth. He begins with what I'm calling a hypothetical assumption. That's how he begins this writing to the church at Corinth. He comes to them 
with a hypothetical assumption on the false idea of what if there was no resurrection. He says it like this. This will be on the screen. He said, if Christ is not raised, then he goes on into these assumptions. He said, if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is useless, and we are found to be false witnesses of God, and we are still lost in our sins. The dead in Christ that have died are still lost, and we among most men are miserable. Because without a literal resurrection of the body of Jesus, then Christianity is nothing more than a lie. Christianity is nothing more than a fairy tale. All it is is a myth. If there is no literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then just go on about living your life the way you want to live it, calling your own shots and doing what you want to do. He's not talking to outside people of the church. He's not talking about people that are lost in their sins. He's talking to the church. He's saying to the church, if you don't believe that Christ literally was raised from the dead, then, then everything that we got going on is a lie. It's just another report on the news. Fake news. Can't find no help in this church today. <laughs> But then he goes on to say, and he begins to alter his argument. Oh, Lord, this gets so good. He begins to alter his thoughts in writing. He begins to alter his arguments with this assumption. This was in verse number 20 that we read. He said, but now Christ is raised from the dead and has become the first fruits. How many know that the first fruits is not a harvest? First fruits is just the evidence of a harvest that's to come. So if Christ has been raised or is raised, then he's the first fruit of what's to come. In other words, if he got up, there's some folks that's going to get up after him. There's a harvest that's coming. So, so the resurrection of Jesus is the promise of our own resurrection to come. Aren't you glad about that today? He's the first fruits of what is to come. That's why Corinthians, if we had took time to read it today, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will rise again. And this mortal body will put on immortal. This corruption will put on incorruption. And we shall reign with him forever and ever and ever. Because if Christ is raised, so, therefore, he's making this assumption of this argument that I'm just pressing in on a little bit today because if, if Christ is raised from the dead, this is what he said in our readings. He said, then our preaching is not in vain. Right. Yeah. Our faith is not useless, but our faith is powerful. And our witness of God has found to be true. And our sins have been forgiven, and he shall reign until all of his enemies are put under his feet. Aren't you glad about that today? I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a Savior that's not dead. I'm glad today that I serve a Savior that is alive. 
Had it not been for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the Christian faith would not be any different than any other known religion. It wouldn't be any different than what's going on in our society today. It would just be another thing to put your hope in. It would be just another thing to latch your hitch to. It would just be another narrative of the story that says, I need a little bit of relief. Had it not been for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and everything would just be this big old myth. If Good Friday would have been the end of the story, then our expectation of what we believe would have died when he died on Friday afternoon. And if that were the case, then Christianity as we know it would be as useless and as powerless as any other known religion. I'm going to work on this a little bit. How many are still with me so far? But here's the contrast. The fact that he was raised overpowers every argument that's out there. The fact that he did get up on the third day overthrows every argument that could rise up against you. The fact that he is not dead overpowers every lie of the enemy overpowers every principality of the evil one working in our society. Do you realize today that, that even the strongest skeptics of our world have to acknowledge his resurrection? Do you realize that today? Every time we write out or they write out the year 2019, 2020, or 2021, 2021 from what? The resurrection. Every time they write out the date, they are proclaiming there's something alive. There's something moving. There's something that still exists. They don't know it, but they're just, they're just confirming what has already happened 2,000 years ago. Whew. In A.D. 33, Jesus had roughly 120 disciples in A.D. 33. Today, there are 2.4 billion of us running around on this planet called Earth. I'm going to wait on some of y'all. I know this ain't, this ain't what, this, this is going to blow your mind, but one out of three people are believers in Jesus. One out of three people on this planet are believers in Jesus Christ. That means that the church is bigger than China. That means that the church is bigger in China and Europe put together. Let me just throw it a little bit further. That means that the church is bigger than China, Europe, and America put together. If you think for a moment we're going to lose this battle, you got another thing coming. Somebody said one time, I read the end of the book and we won. I read the first part of the book. I read the beginning of the book. And he shall bruise his head with the heel of his foot. We win at the first and we win at the last. That means that the church speaks more languages than the U.N. That means that the church is in more places than the United Nations, the UN. Huh? That means that the church has fed more people than any government or organization will ever feed people. That means that the church has restored, delivered, helped, and done more good for people without, and we've done more with less. Because this Savior that we ascribe to is not dead. He's not in a tomb, but he is alive, and he rules, and he reigns forevermore. 
This Savior that I'm talking about this morning, he never wrote a book. Yet more books have been written about him than any person in human history. This Savior that I'm talking about, he never wrote a song. Yet more songs have been sung about him than any other person in history. There are more paintings and sculptures and artwork of him than any other person in history. He never built a building, but there have been more buildings dedicated in his name than any other person in history. He's never walked more than 100 miles from his home, yet all over the world, that name is above every name. That name is known all over the world. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the smitten of God, the one who died and rose on the third day. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just tell you today, this Savior that we serve is not in a grave, but he is ruling and he's reigning and he's alive forevermore. Come on, if you believe that, give God a praise right there. Come on and give him a praise. I'm just laying out a little foundation. I'm going to preach in a minute. Understand today that it was his resurrection that shifted everything in history. It was at that event that moment when everything in history shifted, when he rose from the dead, he validated his own claim about who he was and what he did. You have to understand this morning, there's no disputing Jesus. You can't even dispute his miracles that he performed. The miracles that Jesus performed, they weren't done in a corner somewhere. They were done in cities and towns where everybody could see them. Blind Bartimaeus, he'd been born blind. Everybody knew his name. There's Bart, Bartimaeus. When he healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, he'd been laying there for 38 years. People knew him. When he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, you know somebody told somebody. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus was well known. Everybody knew that Lazarus had died, and then everybody learned that Lazarus had rose again. There's no disputing his own crucifixion. Crucifixion wasn't done in a corner somewhere. It was out on the city dump heap. It was where the whole city could see it. Crucifixion was a form of punishment back in those days. So there's no even disputing the fact that this man named Jesus was crucified. But what they couldn't get with and what they couldn't get around was the claims that he made while he was walking in the earth. Jesus claimed to have seen eternity from the inside out, and that would bother them. Talking about religious people. It would just bother them. Things like they'd be sitting around and talking about Abraham, and Jesus would say things like, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> and that would blow their mind. They would talk about Satan, and Jesus would just chime in. He says, yeah, I saw him fall like lightning out of heaven. I was there when my dad kicked him out. <laughs> They would talk about heaven, and he said, yeah, I know, in my father's house there are many mansions. They couldn't get around his claims. He claimed that his, that his word was equal to scripture. He would say, you have heard it said, but now I say unto you. 
He would claim that his blood would cleanse sin. And it had the power to forgive sin. And they would say back to him, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus would go, exactly. Y'all don't know who you're dealing with is what Jesus was trying to say. I'm not little some rinky-dink somebody that just appeared on the scene with some false religion. I am the son of the living God. And if you can get your mind around it, I'll show you the proof, the infallible proofs that who I am and what I came to do. He would say all these things, but the main proof of his claims were not just in his miracles. They were not just in his teachings. But the main proof of his claims was this one thing, this one thing that separates Jesus from everybody else, this one claim. And if this one thing doesn't happen, then Jesus would just indirectly just say, just go on and live your life however you want to live it. Just do whatever you want to do. If this one thing doesn't happen, after I'm crucified on the third day, when I get up, you're going to know. If I don't get up, then just be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. But on the third day, when, I, when, I, when I'm raised from the grave, I'm going to cancel the argument of death. I'm going to cancel the fury of the enemy's threat against your life. Because when I die, I'm going to get back up. It wasn't just their idea to kill him. It was his idea to become a sacrifice. Revelations 13.8 says he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means before mankind ever fell, before mankind ever stumbled, before mankind ever blew it, God had already provided an answer. In fact, Jesus, in, in, in Ephesians 1, it says that he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world. He didn't wait for sin to show up so he could figure out what to do about it. That means that the power of my life, the answer to my life, is older than the problems of my life. Oh, my Lord, somebody help me. That means he already had a plan before I had anything going on. Before I ever sinned, he already provided a way. He already had the problem solved long before I ever had a problem. He made a way before I needed a way. Talk to me up in here. He put me back together long before I was ever broken. God finished it before he ever started it. He was chosen to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was chosen to be, by his own choosing, he was chosen to be a sacrifice. Everything I need has already been provided. Before I needed healing, healing was already provided. He was slain before the foundations of the world. Let me put it to you this way. I'm not trying to get healed. I'm already healed. 
Before I ever needed salvation, he already provided the way of salvation. I'm not trying to be saved. I'm already saved. I just have to recognize what the accomplished work of Calvary has already constituted in my life. And the moment I acknowledge it, everything that he has becomes mine. Let me put it to you this way. This will be on the screen. Salvation was not our idea. It was his. I mean, that salvation is not based on anything that you have done. It's based on what God did through Christ on the cross. If we could have done it without it, there would be no need for him to come. If you could fix yourself, if you could save yourself, there would be no need for him to come. But ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand this truth. Paul was going after the Corinthian church because they were, they were meddling in some false doctrine. Because they were acting like he, didn't, he wasn't raised from the dead, and so they became a form of religion. Can I tell you something? Religion will do nothing for you. Part of the, part of the problem that's going on in our nation today, part of the problem that's going on in America today, when you have 80% of the people in America say they love God and they're born again, but part of the problem is that they are religious in their thoughts. They're religious in their actions. They don't put behind what they believe. So they just, oh, they come to church when it's convenient. They serve God when it's convenient. They act like they love God when it's convenient. But that don't move a nation. That don't move God. You have to understand, he is king whether you serve him or not. He's the Lord whether you worship him or not. He's never not going to be Lord, and he's never not going going to be king but the moment we recognize that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord (laughs) so what God does this will be on the screen God does not see me different because he looks through the cross the truth is I'm different because of the cross second Corinthians says if any man be in Christ he is a brand new creation all things are passed away, and behold, all things become new again. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, having been justified by his own blood. We were enemies against God, but we've been reconciled through the cross and the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You couldn't fix yourself. I get amazed of the strange doctrine that goes on in our churches today where people can act like they can just handle it without God. They can just, they can just maneuver life without God, and it's like God becomes like a Santa Claus. I'll call on you when I want something. Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Did he not say in John 3.16 that God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The reason why you get everlasting life is because he's the first fruit of many. If he died and rose again, that means there's a blessed hope for us. Amen. This will be on the screen for you as well. Jesus didn't die for us so so that we could be loved. He died because we were loved. You can't clean yourself up enough to make him love you. Your righteousness, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. He didn't die so that you could be loved. He died because you were loved. He loved you in your mess. He loved you in your stained sin garments. He loved you when you couldn't make anything right. 
Jesus died so that we could love God. He died so that we would have this eternal hope of a resurrection one day with him in eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm about to preach, I'm about to get my point laid here, right here. 2 Corinthians says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. Understand that Jesus had no sin. He was not a sinner, but he was made to be sin. Jesus did not sin to be made sin, and we didn't do anything to be made right. He who knew no sin became sin. It was God who took everything that was right, Jesus. And in that moment of time, in that history of time, everything that was right, God made it sin. And in that moment, he took what was sin through the cross and he made it right. That's shouting grounds right there. In other words, he took our place so that we could stand with him in his place. Amen. We couldn't do it. That's why he did it for us. And then he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Revelations chapter 1, verse number 18. And now he rules and he reigns. Let me just put it to you this way. I'm not serving God to stay out of hell. I'm serving God because he brought me up out of my hell. I'm not serving God because I'm afraid of sin. I'm serving God because he redeemed me from my sin. I'm not serving God because I want to be right. I'm serving God because he made it right. I'm not serving God because he took my place and declared me to be right in front of every accusing spirit. I'm serving God because he took the control of every accusing spirit and he said, you will no longer have permission and have right to rule and reign over the people that I love. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just tell you this morning, he is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and there is no comparison to him among anybody else. This will be on the screen. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice if it's taken from you. It's only a sacrifice if it's given. If something is taken from you, it's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice if it's given. That's why Jesus said in John 2, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again. He went on to say in John 10, he says, no one takes my life, but I willingly lay it down on my own initiative. He said, this one commandment I have received from my father, he gave me power to lay it down, and he gave me power to take it back up again. Jesus was not a sacrifice because somebody took it. Can I just tell you, the Jews didn't kill him. The soldiers didn't kill him. The devil didn't kill him. He offered up his life as a will and sacrifice. He said, this one initiative I have received from my father, he gave me the power to lay my life down, and he gave me the power to pick it back up again. Ladies and gentlemen, this Jesus that we serve is not some weak, wimpish, little corner Jesus that nobody wants to be around. This is the king of glory, full of majesty, full of power, full of grace, and full of authority. Come on, if you believe that, give God a praise. Come on and give him a praise like you know it. Yes, he is. This will be on the screen. He's the only God who's ever prophesied his own death 
and resurrection and fulfilled them both. <laughs> He's the only God that's ever done that. Because if you ever visit the tomb of Buddha, you're going to find out that Buddha is still in the grave. If you ever visit the tomb of Hare Krishna or Muhammad, you'll find out that their remains are still in the grave. If you ever go to Waco, Texas and find the coffin of David Caress, you will find out that he is still there. If you ever locate every witch in Warlock's grave, you'll find out that every witch and every warlock are still in the grave. If you find every new age, every follower, every self-promoting guru, you'll find out that they are still there. But if you ever take a trip to the Middle East, if you ever go down into Jerusalem and you find that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, you'll find out when you see that tomb that he is not there. He is alive. He is alive. And he is alive forevermore. Come on and give him praise. We were there a number of years ago. I think it was in 2012. Some of us in here were there. And while we were there, when we came to the tomb of Jesus, there were charter buses backed up two and three blocks back where people were getting on the bus. It's the only place in the world where people will line up for miles to look at nothing. Because he's not there. <laughs> he's bigger than Muhammad. He's more powerful than Confucius. He's bigger than a Buddha or a Jim Jones. He's bigger than New Age or Scientology. He's bigger than Hinduism, Wicca, black magic, white magic, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. He's bigger than an Islamic jihad. Let me break it down for you. He's bigger than a Democratic Party. He's bigger than a Republican Party. He's bigger than an independent. He's bigger than any party that you know in the political realm. He's bigger. He's bigger than the left wing, the right wing. He's even bigger than a chicken wing because he's Jesus, King of Kings. Yes, he is. He's bigger than a pandemic. He's bigger than COVID-19. He's bigger than your fears. He's bigger than your faults. He's bigger than the devil. He's bigger than every assignment that's ever been pushed against you because this Jesus is alive and he rules and he reigns. Come on and give him praise. Come on and give him praise if you believe that. That's why the angels said to the women who came to the tomb when they came with those spices. They were the first spice girls. Came up there to that tomb. And the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Just, let, just so you'll know, for historical content, that stone wasn't rolled away to let him out. That stone was rolled away so that you and I could look in and see that he's not there. Yes, it is. This resurrection power, this will be on the screen, resurrection power, that's what I'm talking about, only happens to dead people. Where's all my amens? Y'all about to throw a chair at me a while ago. Where y'all at? The Apostle Paul, let me just show this scripture to you. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse number 3 says, Do you not know that all 
who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Next verse, please, four. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. Let me give you that last verse. For if we have become united with him, watch this. This is where we miss the church. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Hmm. The key to resurrection power is first being united with him in his death. The reason why the church in America don't have no power is because we're not tied with him in his death. But you can't have a resurrection without a death until you embrace the cross, which is the symbol of death. Until you embrace the cross, which is the surrender of absolute and total denial of yourself. Until you learn to deny yourself, you can never enjoy the resurrection side of Jesus Christ. You have to embrace the cross. Diedrich Bumhofer, that theologian uh, during the Nazi Germany camp time when the Nazi Germany was taking over Europe and they began to enforce their, their doctrine of, among society, that this, this great preacher, this pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus said it best. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must take up his cross and deny himself. You don't have resurrection power until you get denied of you. Until you lay down your rights. Until you quit fighting against the pricks of the gods. Until you quit fighting and, and trying to resist God. You have to die in order to live again. I'm not talking about a literal death. I'm talking about a spiritual death. You have to die to yourself. When you die to yourself, Paul said in Romans that if we will be identified with him in the likeness of his death, we will be identified with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Galatians 2.20 says, You have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have to deny myself. Wouldn't that be a, 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 a novel thing to do in the church in America if we just quit trying to get our way and let God have his way? How powerful would the church would be if the church would learn to come together over the tenets of the doctrines and quit worrying about everything else that is, that is non-essential. How powerful would the, you, you want to see America saved? You want to see America flipped upside down? You start denying yourself and let Christ become the ruler and the reigning of your life. And you identify with him on the cross because it was on the cross when everything was right was made to be sin. And everything that was sin was made to be right. When he died on the cross, I died on the cross. When he rose on the third day, I rose on the third day. Resurrection power that denies the power of the enemy. I know we got to get ready to close, but let me just give you, I'm not even going to preach them. I'm just going to throw them out there to you. 
the message of the cross, number one, is that Christ bore our judgment so that we might receive God's mercy. This is hard for religious mindsets to understand because religious mindsets think, think that we're in a time of judgment. I'm going to tell you something, we're not in a time of judgment. When God judges, you're going to know it. We're not in a time of judgment. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If there's more sin happening in the world, you need to know there's a whole lot more grace that's happening in the world. Jesus came to remove the penalty of sin, the penalty of the law, so that we might receive God's mercy. Number two, Christ took upon himself all that belonged to us so that all that belonged to him might be given to us. The Bible says, Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, he says, he was wounded for our transgressions, not his. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, not his. And by his stripes, we are healed. He took everything on him so that we could be like him. Woo. Number three, I'll, this last one. The cursed tree on which Christ hung. De destroys the forbidden tree from which Adam ate. He triumphed over the sin of Adam, mankind. He triumphed over it. Jesus became a curse so that we can be free from the curse. Put it to you this way. If you're not born again, you're under a curse. The curse is your master. He came to do away with the curse, but you don't have power over the curse until he's in you. Most people have more faith in Adam's disobedience than they do Christ's obedience. Amen? What Adam did is not powerful enough to override what Jesus did. Point this out. Just to make this last point right here, because I believe God has been misrepresented in our nation. It's like God's mad. He's mad at America. It's like he's really mad. It's like he's like ticked off. It's like I can't take one more thing, and I'm about to, y'all about to put the last straw on the camel's back. Like God is like so mad. That's a misrepresentation of the God that we serve. It's like God can't handle it no more. In that first century church when they were burning Christians and they ran out of trees in the Middle East because they were crucifying Christians and used them as light poles so that people could walk through them and see and they would set them on fire while they were being crucified so they could have their orgies and their parties. And they ran out of trees in the Middle East because of the crucifixion that was taking place on Christians? What about World War II when six million Jews were slaughtered at the hand of the Nazis? Like that, 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 that didn't break the, the, the camel's back? And you think because we got a little bit of turbulence in America, 
You think because we've been shifted off our axis a little bit that God is somehow going to destroy the planet, going to destroy our nation? No, maybe he's just waking the church up to realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when the church begins to recognize and realize that we were born on this planet for such a time as this so that we could see the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. Amen. I know. See, half of y'all clapping, half of y'all mad because, no, no, he's mad. He's ticked off. He's going to judge him. Well, why don't he start with you? Why don't he start with you, Mr. Perfect, Miss Perfect? No, he's not mad. He already provided a way. Because the day will come when the judgment will be known. And there will be no thinking about it. You will know he is coming with some vengeance. You want to be on that side of God. Yeah. Pastor Floyd, why don't you, you guys come on? I got to find a way to end this. Y'all about y'all mad now. Let me just pull you out of that. You have to understand today that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Not the wrath of God. Y'all just missed a point right there. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not his wrath. His wrath is found in judgment. God's not coming to judge. We're under mercy right now. That's why you got time to get it right. Because one day the time is going to stop and then judgment will fall. It's appointed unto a man once to die and after that face judgment. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world, John 3, 16, so that the world could be saved and not perish. But verse number 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's a big point right here. If condemning the world would have saved the world, then that's what God would have done. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. We don't have to condone anything, but there's a difference between condoning and condemning, and that difference is called the cross. The gospel, the gospel is good news, not good advice. <laughs> it's good news. We can give you advice, but don't get it mixed up with the news. We can give you counsel but don't get it mixed up with the news. We can give you prophecy, but don't get it mixed up with the news. Advice and counsel and prophecy is something that we can do, but news is something that has already been done. <laughs> it's the news. So, so it's, like, it's like when you watch your news. You're not watching something that's about to happen. You're watching something that's already happened. And if every reporter would do their job, they would report on the news without commentary, without putting their spin on it, without putting their indoctrination on it. Just tell us what happened. We don't need to know what you think about what happened or why it happened. Just tell us what happened. That's what the, the gospel is. It's good news. It's what Christ has already done. And all we have to do is read it and recept it. Woo. It's not about what's going to happen about what's already happened. 
He's made it available. Won't you stand to your feet this morning? I want to close right here. Is this all right? I really didn't work it out the way I thought I would in my head, but I'm getting there. In Abraham's day, it was a lamb for a man. In the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they had their first Passover, it was a lamb for a house. On the Day of Atonement, it became a lamb for a nation. When John the Baptist saw him coming off of that hillside, he points to him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, it started out with a man to a house, to a nation. He became a lamb for the whole world. That lamb is available today. That's what Easter's all about. You can be bound today in your sin. Here's the thing about sin, the tricky part. Here's the tricky part about it. This is the devil is so deceiving. He's good at what he's at what he does. He's had more years practicing it than you've been alive. He knows what trips you up. The tricky part about sin is that it's so cunning and deceiving that you think it's enjoyable because the Bible says it is enjoyable for a season. But the end thereof is destruction. Sin don't play. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the author of the thief. That's the devil. But on that third day, when he got up, he moved on. He got past his Friday, and he got past his Saturday. And resurrection power came on Sunday. Some of you may be in here today, and the enemies tried to bury you. The enemies tried to hold you back. The enemy's trying to say, you're always going to live in that pain. You're always going to live in that disappointment. You're always going to live in that shame or that setback. You need to know today that that's the plan of the enemy for your life, but that's not resurrection power for your life. Because if he got up, you can get up. That's right. That's right. Amen. I'll close with this last story right here. I was looking through some stuff a while back and, and came across the story. I remember reading it maybe years ago either in high school, college stuff that I was working on, but it's called The Battle of Waterloo. It's a true story. On June 18th in 1815, the Battle of Waterloo was being fought and the French, the French at that time under the commander of Napoleon Bonaparte was fighting against the British and all of the Brits' allies. And they were under the, the command of the Duke of Wellington. And everyone in England knew that a great battle was pending, and they were anxious to hear what would happen when the British general, Wellington, would face off with the incomparable Napoleon, both military giants, fighting over two different nations, continents. The people of England depended during that time, because during that time they didn't have Facebook, 
They didn't have texts, internet, telephones. The people of England in that time depended on a system of flag signals. It's called a semaphore, which means they, they had to watch flags go up so they could read how the battle was going. And so the English put a signalman, and he was assigned to the top of Winchester Cathedral with, his, with instructions to keep your eye on that English channel so that we can know how the battle is going. And when this, 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 this signalman was up there on that cathedral, when he received the message, he was passing it along to the men on the hill, and subsequently the message would be passed to another man on another hill and then the man on another hill and the battle would get related or relayed all the way back to London and then all across England. And during this time of the battle, Napoleon against Wellington, during this time of the battle, in a far distance in the English Channel was a ship. And that, 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 that signal man was watching that ship in the English Channel and the signalman aboard that ship began to raise the first flag to give them a report on what's going on on the battlefield. And the first word that came up was Wellington. The second word that came up was defeated. It looks like this on the screen, guys. If you'll put that on the screen, if you'll just find that. It said, Wellington defeated. And then about that time, every man's heart sank. Their hopes and their dreams of a better day was gone. Wellington, all of the English countryside, hearts had melted because Wellington had been defeated. And while the, the signs were up, all of a sudden across that English channel, if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about, the fog moves in really thick. And it can move in really fast. The fog began to roll in, and it was impossible to even read the sign that was up. Wellington defeated. And the news quickly spread throughout all of the countryside, all throughout England, to the point that this is a true story. You can look it up. Businessmen began to sell their businesses because they knew the French were coming. And they would just raid them and rob them and just take over the country. And fear and defeat began to set in throughout the whole countryside because the country had lost the war. And this went on for hours, several hours. But then, just like it always does, the fog began to lift. And the remainder of the messenger, of the message that could not be seen because of the fog, it had four words, not two words. And the four words, the completed message was, Wellington defeated the enemy. It only took a few minutes for that good news to travel through the countryside. And what was a sad day began to turn into a joyous day. And what was a sign of defeat began to have the sign of victory. And the nation began to rejoice. I just came to tell you, 2,000 years ago, there was a sad day in America and in the Christianity of the world. And it looked like Jesus Christ defeated. That's what it looked like on that tomb. Jesus Christ defeated. But the fog began to lift. The grave began to shake a little bit. 
and the tomb was rolled away. And now the words are, Jesus Christ defeated Satan. Because the battle has been won. The battle is over. Where is your sting? Yeah. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up in victory, and the grave has lost its grip. The grave has lost its power, and his enemies shall be under his feet, and we shall reign with him forever. Because he's won the victory. That's the power of the resurrection. So my message today to you is it, it's not over. The, the crucifixion, the cross, the grave was not the end of itself. That's just the beginning of many. The pain, the struggle, the heartache, the setbacks, the stuff that you fight through, the stuff that you wonder about, you can overcome it today. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Why don't everybody just bow your head for a moment. We're going to get ready to receive communion. But I want to do this first because I don't want to disturb the atmosphere. just want to take a moment. I want to be sensitive to you today. I know we got to go. It's Easter. It's a big family day. In just a few minutes, we're walking out of here. But maybe you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe in this place today, you've been separated. Or maybe at one time you did. But now you're in a backslidden condition. I think that's a sign. I don't know what that was. We don't know. Just if we can get back in that moment. You're in this place today. Your life is separated. Maybe you knew him at one time, but you know you're not walking with him. Bearing the name of Christ and name only does not grant you eternal life. Just because you're a good person don't mean you're going to have eternal life. Good people go to hell. There are good people in hell today. Good humanitarians in hell today. What puts you in heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, you know what, I don't know, man. I, my, my life is messed up. I know I'm in need of a Savior. You can't save yourself, but he can save you. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to be a part of this ministry. I'm not even asking you to ever come back to church here again. That's, that's your choice. We'd love to have you, but I'm at, I am asking you, let's get into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Let's, 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 let's fall in love with him today, and let's secure our eternal resurrection. All over this building today, you're thinking about it. We've been praying for you. This whole church has been praying for you. We believe today you're on a divine assignment. You're here today because God's calling out to you. You're in this place today and you say, you know what? Preacher, I don't know. I just, I know I need to make a decision today and I, I want to make it right today. I want to make it right with God. If that's you in this place, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you are. Just be bold and honest. People are praying for you. Eyes are closed. Just slip your hand up. I see your hand, sir. God bless you. Thank you. You say, I'm just going to believe God today. 
I'm going to make it right. Anybody all over the building, I see your hand. God bless you. Thank you for being honest. I see your hand. Thank you. Just being honest. Just being honest today. I just got to have a right relationship. I can't continue on this path. Everything may be working for you, but that don't mean everything's okay. You can have a good job. You can have a good family. You can have good money. But you're lost inside. You're lost inside. And Jesus is pleading today. Jesus is pleading today. I've done a lot of funerals. I buried them from, from three years old up to 95 years old. Death does not discriminate. Today we can make it right. One more time, I'm going to scan the audience. You're going to say, that's me right now. Throw your hand up. God bless you. I see it. God bless you. I see it. God bless you. Hands are going up. That's what I'm talking about. He's calling on you today. That's what I'm talking about. In the name of Jesus. I don't know. There might have been eight or nine, ten hands that went up. I just It's hard for me to look out and see the lights. I want to pray a 30-second prayer over you, but I need you to be bold at this point. Our church is going to celebrate with you if you raised your hand. And I know you meant it or you'd have never raised your hand. I want you to just join me down here at this altar. Our church is going to wait on you. We're going to pray a 30-second prayer. Will you just step out of your seat? Church, will you just encourage them? I want them to step out of their seats. Just come on down. Come on down. There you go. God bless you. Come on. People are moving. People are coming. God bless you. Come on. That's it, sweetheart. Come on. That's it. That's it. Come on. People are moving. There she is. Coming from the back. There they are right there. Come on. They're coming down to meet the Savior right here. That's it. Come on, my friend. Come on, brother. That's it. Come on, church. Come on. There's still some more. There's still some more. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our altar team is coming. People that are part of this, we're going to stand with you. Nobody in this church stands alone. Nobody fights alone. We stand with you. Stand with you. I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. All over the world, when you raise your hands, it's a sign of surrender. No matter what side of the fence you're fighting on, when you raise your hand, it's a sign of surrender. I'm going to ask you today if you'll just raise your hand and repeat this prayer after me. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. You'll have an eternal home. It'll be fixed today. It'll be fixed today. Your salvation will be secured today. The enemy can't lie to you about it anymore. The enemy can't come in and pull it out from under you anymore. You'll be eternally saved today. While your hands are raised, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. Don't believe it in your head. Believe it in your heart. For with the mouth, confession is made from the heart. He don't save your head. He saves your heart. Your heart becomes born again. And the whole church is going to pray with us. Church, would you help me, Pastor Porter? Will you help me on the mic today? Yes. Everybody pray. Let's pray it out loud. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I come to you just like I am. I come to you just like I am. And I'm asking you today. I'm asking you today. To forgive me of my sins. To forgive me of my sins. And I commit myself to you today. I commit myself to you today. To live for you. To live for you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. And I repent today of my sins and I'm asking you today to empower me to live the kind of life that you called me to and I thank you today from this moment on I'm born again from this moment on I'm saved and I thank you Jesus right now in this house in this moment 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can you give God a great big God bless? We say on the cross, why you done? It was more than enough. More than enough on the cross. What you done? It's the power of your blood. Come on, service sing. What you done? It's more than back there, we're going to receive communion today. If you take your communion cup that's in your hands right there. I didn't get one. Maybe the ushers can help me out real quick. If you can open that thing, Jesse, because I don't want to have to fight it. <laughs> Military combat mode to open that thing. <laughs> I think we'd be amiss if we didn't receive communion on Easter Sunday. And I, I do apologize if you're visiting. I know you got family things and we're a little over time, but we're just going to receive communion and we're going to bring up a resurrection seed, and then we're going to be dismissed today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. It may seem a little docile to us right now. I got one. Thank you, brother. Yeah. But right now in heaven, because the spiritual world is more real than the natural world, the, the spiritual world is more real than the natural. We're so used to living in a natural world, we don't put a whole lot of emphasis on the spiritual world, but the spiritual world is what lasts forever. And right now in heaven that you can't see, but it's going on, Heaven is doing cartwheels. Heaven is flipping upside down because, I don't know, seven or eight people just gave their life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Heaven is throwing a party right now. That's a little weak for heaven to be throwing a party and we're not throwing one. Heaven is throwing a party. Heaven is excited because a son or a daughter has come back to the Lord. Paul said, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The wafer that we hold in our hand is symbolic of the, the body of Jesus. He's the bread of life. And when you take this wafer into your body, into your mouth, it's like receiving Christ, the finished work of Christ in his body. And when you receive from his body, I just want to tell you today, 
you can be healed. You can be delivered. You can walk in freedom. You can be healed physically, mentally, spiritually. Because it's the broken body of Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are the healed of the Lord. So today we receive the broken body of Jesus and we receive it by faith. Come on, let's receive it together in Jesus' name. The Bible says in the same manner, he took the cup of the new covenant, which is his blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. This is the cup of the new covenant. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ that sealed our redemption. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 1 John says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Today as we drink and we receive what the blood has done, we purchase and we take and we receive what that blood means to us. Today we can be forgiven of our sins. What can wash away my sins? The old song used to say, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's receive that together today. pass that stuff down to the end of the aisle if you want to. Our ushers are going to move through there. They'll help you. Or you just lay it in your seat, however you want to do it. It don't matter. But for the next moment, I want us to lift our hands, and I want us to begin to thank God for his blood. I want us to thank God for his broken body. Come on, without it, without it today, where would we be? What would we do? Come on, all over, just worship the Lord. today we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ thank you for the pain that you endured on Calvary's hill thank you for the blood that ran down Golgotha's hill and it's found its way into every human heart that would receive it we thank you today that the blood has never lost its power the blood has never lost its grip 
And Lord, we thank you today that we can be made whole. We can be made new again because of the blood and the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We thank you for those who gave their life to you today, those who rededicated their life. We thank you today that there's resurrection power, that you have been raised from the dead. And because you've been raised, we can be raised. And we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Church, one more time, can you just give God a great big God bless you today on this Easter Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. This is something that we do here at our church. We have a resurrection seat offering. It's above our tithes and offerings. I'm just going to ask you, the ushers will put the buckets out here in a moment, and we just, or you can just lay it on the altar here. This is something that we do. We believe 2,000 years ago God gave his best seed. He put name Jesus. He put it in the earth so he could reap a harvest called humanity. So every year for the past nearly 30 years, we bring our resurrection seed and we just plant it back into the seedbed of this house so that we can continue to do the ministry that God's allowed us to do. If you're visiting with us, there's no obligation to that. Don't even feel like you got to do anything. If you like to, you're more than welcome to, but there's no obligation there whatsoever. If you're an ongoing part of this house, you know that's just something that we all do because we believe that the power of the enemy is broken through the seed. The seed of our Savior broke the power of the enemy. This is just a representation of what I believe is going to be broken over our lives. If you have your seed, just hold it in your hand. Maybe you did it online, however you want to do it. But we're going to pray. Father, this morning I thank you. Lord, that as we bring this seed to the altar of the Lord, Lord, we're not just bucket plunking. We're not just throwing money. But, Father, we are planting our seed. We're planting our seed for a future harvest. Lord, I thank you that what's in our hand will leave it, but what's in your hand is about to leave it too. Lord, we thank you that our seed will never leave our life. It just moves into our future. Lord, where you begin to multiply it, you begin to make it known. Hallelujah. Lord, you said that if we would give, you would give it back to us with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, you would cause men to pour into our bosom. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today. Lord, this is the lowest level we will ever live on. Come on, New Harvest Church, we're going to build a new sanctuary. We're going to put new buildings on the campus. we got more work to do. we got more things to accomplish. The ministry of God is going around the world. And, Lord, we thank you that we're going to have a part. And, Lord, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise for it. Bless your people now. Bless their family time together today. Lord, let them have an amazing day in your love and with one another. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise for it all today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful day.